Hey, welcome to episode 71 of the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke. I'm recording this in northern Minnesota, and I'm also joined by my brother. He's in the Twin Cities, Minnesota. Uh, the Twin Cities of Minnesota? How do they style that? Um, how's it going, Dawson? Good, good. Um, the Twin Cities, it's a its a fake name, isn't it? I mean, kind of. There's no cities called Twin Cities, Minnesota. It's just a, it's a nickname. It's, yeah, like a colloquialism for Minnesotans specifically. Yes, you're in St. Paul. Yes. But when I was a lad, I would just say the cities because I never knew what they were, what it, which city was which. <laughs> yeah, they're right up close to each other. Um, and yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, only going to be the two of us on this episode, uh, considering, you know, it's it's got some romantic themes to it. In a really interesting way, yeah. And and you're the only person who I've had on the show who was married as well, so you you know more about these types of things. <laughs> well, I, maybe, maybe. Um, no, it's it's uh, great to have you back on, and I think. We'll have a lot to say about this, but we won't go nearly as long as uh, Atlantis. <laughs> we did, did uh, go, oh, we did go long on Atlantis. That episode was over two hours. Wow, Pretty impressive. Well, there is a yeah. lot to say, and I and I feel like the internet definitely wants me to like that movie so much more than I do. Um, but and and I do, but I I do. I hope it was clear in the last episode that I like did like it. Like Atlantis, I mean, Atlantis. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so weird. I I like it. And it's funny, you know, remember how I mentioned how I hated the hands? <laughs> uh, the government was listening because YouTube recommended me a video called Why Atlanta's Hands Are Amazing. And yeah. I watched it. And it was this lovely Russian gal. Like, she loved the hands in Atlantis. They're <laughs> so expressive. Most Disney hands are boring hands and all look the same. And she showed Sleeping Beauty how, like, the prince and princess's hands are identical. And I'm like, okay, but they're beautiful. So whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I think Mike Mignola, too, is the, the designer on so many of the elements of that film is known for, like, having a very distinctive or expressive like hands and yeah she's like look at the hands the way they move and the expressiveness and i'm like i i didn't notice because i don't look at hands and that's something she made me realize so i'm the last person who should be doing a podcast on animation oh that was great i really enjoyed listening back to that um you know it's okay if you don't love it necessarily as much as other things we we pointed out some of the the issues that we had with it i mean i I like the movie. I like the space shuttle. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, we'll we'll talk more when we get to the uh, the Treasure Planet episode. Yes. But, uh, oh, uh, right. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I guess yeah. the last thing on the hands is that there it's it, it's not the expressiveness in the animation that I hate. Like because yes, my eyes have been opened. They're amazing, mm -hmm. but they're square. The tips are square. <laughs> I think that's just something that bothers me. But interesting. Hey. Um, I had a few things I wanted to mention. Maybe some from previous episodes uh i like keep a running list of show corrections but i often forget to mention them and i don't know it's not a big deal but uh like in, dig out the audio whiteout i or mean or whatever you want to call it <laughs> um in the atlantis episode i referenced that venus de milo statue when we talked about um contra pasto oh, i thought about uh, correcting it <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's uh 
I, I, I misremembered the statue as not having a head. Uh, I thought it was missing like its head and its arms. It's, it's just the arms. Mm. Um, and then is it the Venus de Milo statue? Because isn't the painting of Venus also the that uh, is the Venus de Milo, the painting of the lady with the hair covering her privates or um, that's the birth of Venus, right? That's the birth. The... There we go. Thank you. Shell. Perfect. Nice. Nicely done. Um, the Venus de Milo statues. Uh, I, I th and I think the oh gosh I I saw the date it it it's currently held at the Louvre, um, and it was carved in like it was like some crazy date like 1000 BC. But I suppose it's possible for these things to be preserved for that long. I don't. Um, uh, between 130 and 100 BC. Oh, okay, 100 BC, which That's, is still crazy. But yeah. um, I mean. Yeah, that's the that's a long the time high, ago. The Hellen Hellenism was on the way out because Roman was Rome was on its way. Hmm. Um, the that I guess Pinocchio adaptation we talked about during um, Over the Garden Wall. It's being developed by Patrick McHale, creator of Over the Garden Wall, and Guillermo del Toro. That's actually not a version for Disney, even though Disney is coming up with their own version. Um, the Disney version is being helmed by Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> and there's a Disney version of what? There's a Disney version of Pinocchio that's being oh. um, developed by Robert Zemeckis and Tom Hanks. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, no release date currently. The, the Guillermo del Toro, Patrick McHale version... I believe is being produced for Netflix and and that should come out in 2021. So um yeah the the Venus or no uh we mentioned that the Hans Christian Andersen connection to Emperor's New Groove we failed to mention like I you know it is sort of a tenuous connection between the like Emperor's New Clothes story and the emperor's new groove because that that's just something that evolved sort of naturally from uh you know mm -hmm. from that original prince and the pauper concept that they developed for kingdom of the sun which eventually became emperor's new groove but but i i figured i ought to mention uh hans christian anderson uh was the person who wrote the emperor's new clothes or at least uh yeah the oh. most popular rendition of that story that we now have i because yeah hans christian anderson he wrote frozen he wrote little mermaid i think we, oh, he wrote the snow queen yeah yeah <laughs> he wrote frozen um let's see well uh, talking about spies last uh last week with spies in disguise um the penguins of madagascar film had like a whole underground animal spy network uh, even though, and it's also set in like a world where humans exist and go about their normal lives. That's kind of interesting. Um, I made reference to other like animated spy movies and there really aren't that many. Um, the Incredibles is probably like the best example, even though that's also a superhero film. Um, Mm. You know, something like the great mouse detective, you know, is, is just set a long time ago. And that's another example where there's like animals who have <laughs> complex. Is, 
Is Great Mouse Detective the like the origin story of the rescuers, the rescue aid society? They could be set in the same universe. That's that's possible. R-E-N-C-U-E, <laughs> rescue aid society. Yeah, oh, so good. Um, I guess maybe they'll have to set a spy movie in that whole animal. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Oh, like just elderly Bernard and Bianca, like, and they've got silencers and and like laser beams and night vision and (laughs) raffle guns. And I don't know. Yeah. If there's there much demand for return to the rescuers universe. Uh. (laughs) Ale Cooper, rescue aid society. I don't know. Yeah. um, uh, I pronounced Karen Gillen's name. Karen Gillian, <laughs> which is weird because I, I really like her as an actress, but I just was talking fast, I guess. Um, so all this boring stuff getting out of the way. Um, yeah, well, let's get into some 2D animation, some 2D Japanese animation with your name from uh, 2016. What have we talked about the Japanese film on here? We've had to have done a Ghibli by now. I don't know. Did we talk? Oh, I, I talked about Spirited Away with, uh, with I believe it's my friend Kara, who I had on an episode. Um, but other than that, Good. it really hasn't been much. You know, the that um, Dragon Print show is inspired by anime aesthetic. Um, but it's about time. It fails at it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a flash... <laughs> Uh, animation sort of rendering of a uh, Japanese style kind of like um yeah it's it's aping um the format of like uh Avatar the Last Airbender. We talked a little bit about Avatar the Last Airbender of course just a little overview on that. Um and that was entirely traditionally drawn um but assembled you know on a computer. I I think maybe in some of the early seasons of that show they used uh paper uh and then transferred them to to like a computer you know scan them in but um i think eventually a lot of the animators on avatar and the legend of korra just did all their work on on like a tablet um i guess it probably depends on the artist yeah what did you think of your name I really like this film. Um, what do you what do you think of it? Uh, yeah, these are some spectacular films from Makoto Shinkai. I really don't know anything else. It's, is is this like a studio that is consistently making sort of similarly connected films? Um, well, I never I never <laughs> heard of them until. Well, okay, so let's let's go back to like how you heard of this film and how i heard of this film all i heard it was was 2016 and word was getting around that one of the films nominated for best animated picture is a is japanese animated film called your name Hmm. and everyone was saying oh yeah it's a studio ghibli film and i was like oh really okay and then and then word was finally getting back around no no it's not a studio ghibli film but like it's as good as one like it's it almost is it almost is like one and i was like oh interesting so because the only animated films that Americans know of that are great are um, Studio Ghibli films. 
Um, mm. And yeah, so then I, oh, why, why did my Siri activate? Go away. <laughs> um, studio, studio Siri? Uh, anyway. Um, <clears throat> and so I was excited about that, that, oh, well, like a, a good Japanese animated film in theaters? Can't say I've done that before. So I was very excited. I went with uh, two friends to go see this um, and loved it. And I couldn't remember anything about it when I went to watch it today. Um, I don't, yeah. don't know how that happened. I, all I remember is like really liking it. But honestly, the plot, I couldn't remember. And so it was like watching it for the first time. So that was fun. And I watched it with my wife and she loved it. So <laughs> memory has a big role in this film as well. Yeah. Um, it's kind of odd that that you had the similar experience to what the characters experience in this. I know. Movie. I related. He's like, <laughs> he's shouting her name. Oh, it repeats it out loud over and over. And then I can't remember it anymore. And I'm like, yeah. that seems unbelievable, but I've been there. So <laughs> I know it's I know it's plausible. Dreams are very hard to retain after some yeah. after some time has passed. Mitsuha uh, and Taki are the kind of co-leads of this film. Uh, Taki Tachibana, Mitsuha, Miyamisu. Um, I watched the English version and took notes and then started watching. I, I got through about half of the Japanese version. I imagine you saw what the Japanese version in theaters no, actually. Well, I couldn't remember. So I texted my okay. friend to ask if she remembered, but she didn't get back to me in time. So I did a brief look up of like what people prefer and the internet, you know, has its opinions. And anyway, so I assumed I watched the Japanese version, started it and I was like, I'm not, this doesn't feel right. Um, and because I was like, I want to, I want to watch the beautiful art. I don't want to be reading subtitles this whole time. Mm -hmm. So um, I switched over to the English and I was like, ah, yes, there it is. Um, so, okay. Um, yeah, this was not nominated for any Academy Awards. Got Seriously? lots of no, um, weirdly, like no. What's up with my memory? Because that was that <laughs> was the big hype behind it, as far as I recall, was that it was this Oscar nomination. Yeah, no best, yeah, international film. I think in 2016 it was probably still called best foreign film. Um, but yeah, it, it, lots of other accolades though. Um, the the total list of. Uh, yeah, it's got 16 wins uh, that are included in the list of awards on IMDb, another 20 yeah, and 26 nominations, um, which I don't think includes the wins. <laughs> um, so okay. I guess uh, add those up. You got 42 accolades in total listed here um, on this arbitrary website. And then the production company i'm seeing comics wave film films uh comics spelled c-o-m-i-x uh, and they've got um eight feature films listed here and uh two of them are ones that i've seen uh your name and weathering with you and then yeah weathering with you is also a Makoto Shinkai feature. Um, he's a, definitely become sort of a Miyazaki level writer, director, um, sort of a successor to that legacy, just in terms of name recognition, I think. I, I don't really follow too closely. 
Yep. No, me neither. Yep. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm letting you go to town on the. I don't. No, no, I, I do not know anything about the cast, crew, any of the. Yeah, background. the the context is okay. you know it's not going to be the main feature of this film, other than um the these well, films. Be, yeah, I mean, I hope people, someone out there, does a podcast where they're like, I know every detail about the creators of this sh- of these things and their inspirations and motivations and <laughs> you know. Well, this was his fifth feature, Makoto Shinkai. Um, After, I guess this was preceded by The Garden of Words in 2013, followed by Weathering with You in 2019. And, uh, you know, I I enjoy a lot of the Miyazaki films. So if I hear that there's a a great, like, Japanese feature that's uh, generating a lot of buzz, animated feature, uh, I'm I'm definitely curious. I hadn't seen your name until just prepping for the show, prepping for the podcast. But I did see Weathering with You in, uh, in theaters, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, so I was uh, not disappointed here. Um, it, and it is one of the highest-grossing Japanese films of all time as well. Really? was it maybe it wasn't oscar nominated but like that it was it was the number one movie in japan or and like yeah making a ton of money so yeah yeah that's why um, it generated interest over here the uh, it was the highest grossing anime film uh until recently there's a new movie out called demon slayer uh, it's like a spin-off of like a previously existing series or something, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it is okay. Yeah, it's doing gangbusters at the box office. Um, really? it, the list of highest grossing films in Japan has Demon Slayer at number one, uh, with a gross of 36.88 billion yen, <laughs> and that's a movie from 2020. Wow. So it just shows that the Japanese box office has recovered incredibly uh, since COVID. So like other, there is hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel if, yeah. uh, if America can get its stuff figured out. Because <laughs> uh, other countries yeah. are kind of back to normal, it seems, some to some extent. Um, but just uh, have to wait a few more months, I guess. Or years, <clears throat> depending on who you talk to. But I don't talk uh, to the people who talk about years. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, let's see. Spirited Away is number two, 31.68 billion yen. Uh, Titanic, number three, 26.20 <laughs> yen, uh, billion. <laughs> and uh, all these figures are in yen. Um, and then Frozen, number four. So hooray for the Thodcast. Wow. Uh, we're big in Japan, 25.48 billion. Um, and then your name, number five. So 20. What did you say number one was? Oh, my word. Uh, number one, Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer. Okay. Um, your name is number five as far as um, just the Japanese gross, 25.03 billion yen. Um, but it did pretty well overseas. Um, I think, you know, that's maybe why you were hearing about it so much because it was playing in other countries, maybe uh, in the U.S. It was kind of generating a little bit of a 
I don't know, a momentum because um, worldwide it's, it is um, showing $358 million worldwide. And it's the number two Japanese animated film. Um, so why is it as successful as it is? Um, it, it's uh, genuinely brilliant, uh, shall I say, blend of fantasy and reality, uh, in my opinion. Mm. But what do you think, Dawson? Um, yes, it's a, a lovely story about um, two people who are connected in surprising ways that keep getting more surprising as the film goes. You think it, you think you know what it's about, or you say, oh, I get, okay, this is the premise. That's cute. Uh, and then there's another premise after that and another one after that. And it, uh, it keeps surprising you, um, mm -hmm. at least on your, so it's a very, it's, it's a really fun first time viewing. Mm -hmm. And then it's obviously extremely enjoyable um, on a second on repeat viewings, but especially when you don't know what's coming, it's a, it's really interesting. Take some cool twists. Um, and it's beautifully, absolutely staggeringly beautifully drawn. So yeah, gorgeous. <laughs> um, the character animation is pretty standard for anime. Um, it's not, you know, Ghibli has a, has a sort of unique twist compared to most other anime, but um, mm -hmm. this has standard anime characters, but in a, a, a jaw droppingly realized world um so i could i just love looking at it um yeah are amazing it's very artfully uh cinematographed um <laughs> a photographed i suppose oh, yeah uh, shot virtually <laughs> but right. um the, yeah the i i don't know the characters designs themselves like the main characters uh, to me weren't the most distinctive but i don't know no but that's kind of anime for you um i i mean he yeah he's especially sort of bland um she i mean i think she's lovely and you know goes through some haircuts and then she mm -hmm. wears her hair tie in some different ways that are you know, like it's it's interesting how everything sort of connects little accessories and mm -hmm. um, things people say and events and occupations and and uh, even jobs. I, I don't know. It's a it's a very yeah. interwoven. And that's kind of one of the one of the major themes is inter the interwovenness of, of humanity and time. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very rich, kind of vibrant, a lot of detail. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I've never read a nicholas sparks novel i've seen the notebook i don't know there's a lot going on in that movie which is makes it kind of interesting but i don't know that this this movie just seems to have so much rich detail in addition to like some of the romantic stuff going on um it, it feels kind of like I don't know, back to the future is kind of a, a comparison i would make um, yes well it's it's funny so it's romantic and then it's like back to the future and it's kind of like huh what and it what my wife loved about it too and, and we were both talking about this a little bit was how the premise of this film could have easily been two people um wake up on occasion in each other's bodies and then fall in love and try to find each other like that's that's enough of a premise on its own but as i said earlier it, it keeps adding a layer of interest um you know yeah. being uh, there's the, there's a disaster involved and then there's mm -hmm. a separation of time and then, you know, memories start to, you know, 
change and disappear and alter and, and it keeps you guessing what's actually going on. So in, and the romance is, it's not, the romance isn't driven by romance in and of itself. There's like this sort of purpose and intention and, um, you know, these characters are connected for a reason. The, the plot of the film isn't two people are connected so that they can meet each other and fall in love and because they're soulmates. The plot is two people are connected for a really interesting reason and then are driven by that to find each other and then, you know, develop this yearning for one another. Um, mm hmm you know, for, yeah. for a really compelling reason. Um, and that's what's, you know, beautiful about it. And I think ever, I don't, I mean, it'd be hard to imagine anyone who can't relate to that sense of yearning. Like there's someone or something really important out there that I'm, I'm I think I meant to do mm. and I could choose not to do it, but I like want to find it and maybe it's real, maybe it isn't, but I have to try. And then, you know, who doesn't yeah. want to just be walking through a crowd at a train station and then make eye contact with someone and then know and have them know that you're meant to be together. It's really, really um, mm -hmm. deep, uh, emotional. Yeah, some payoffs that it, it builds to uh, really make you think about the, the ways in which relationships develop and mature. Um, and how fleeting these feelings can often feel. But I think there is a more uh, concrete resolution that is in store for people who just uh, who stick to it and, and keep following, <laughs> I guess, the, the, the woven um, ribbons uh you know play a, a significant role in this film as imagery and like if if you can just find the string and follow it to to the end <laughs> um yeah. you uh you might be in store for like real magic um even if most of the time it just it feels so elusive uh, you have a hard time really grasping but but um yeah That's life uh, yeah yeah life is full of mystery it's full of um disappointment and you know moments of dullness but then there are other moments that are just so thrilling and captivating um it's it's sometimes hard to really uh you know keep that perspective in mind you know that right. there are those moments that make life particularly special Yes, just invigorate the soul with an inherent meaning. Mm -hmm. um, and that can, those moments come and go. And it can be easy to forget them. Uh, how into plot and spoilers are you Are you wanting to get? I mean, I, it's yeah. kind of, we usually I, just kind of dissect all aspects <laughs> of the films when we review them. So I was going to maybe throw down a bit of a warning um, just because that yeah there are some interesting things we could discuss here yeah because i have i have a couple questions mm -hmm. um that i think well they might well i guess i would say they're i'm assuming these are flaws but i am actually i'm genuinely intrigued to to hear if there's an if there's an answer for them yeah um, there's a so lot i was gonna yeah. ask if you had any too because yeah when you get into these timey-wimey films it's it's like you know, you rub your palms together and lick your lips and think like, oh boy, <laughs> let's find the, let's find the complete like inconsistencies. Um, 
Yeah. That, this, film, this film feels yeah. really tight in a lot of ways, but then, yeah, there are a couple, there's a couple things anyway. Um, I mean, one that I was wondering about was like when he's looking up the victims of uh, this um, comet strike, the, me- the meteor strike on, uh, what's the name of the city? Itomori. Yeah. Uh, and then he finds the name, Taki finds the name of Mitsuha in the book. And then later on in in the film, he can't remember her name at all, even though he has like had he's seen physical evidence of her existence. But um, I would chalk that up to the fact that his later experiences in the film do change things. Uh, Yeah, well, there's a because there's a moment where there's a break and then there's Mm -hmm. a there's a separation from events happening to him before that point and then things mm-hmm. that happen after that point and how his memory works um yeah so you kind of have to divide this on movie it's almost like in thirds or halves i think i mean there's there's like yeah. two opening song montages it almost feels like too that mm-hmm. the, the film starts and in a few minutes establishes a, a strange a mysterious premise and then there's the anime opening yeah. with the song and the montage yeah then, it's a bizarre opening too i it felt kind of abrupt and odd that it was kind of doing the tv show thing of like almost having a theme song yeah um, i didn't know anime movies needed to do that maybe it's an anime thing no matter what well, I, I mean, yeah, Spies yeah. in Disguise had kind of a musical sequence in the beginning, but it, it was trying to emulate the, you know, James Bond. <laughs> oh, sweet. You know, opening okay. number. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> so there are Western films that do this. Uh, but yeah, yeah very true. it's a very anime style thing that this does. Um, uh, and, yeah. and it does it pay off like in the gonna, end. You feel like you're going to start watching an episode of an anime, but it's mm-hmm. in fact to our film roughly um so okay there's so it starts they figure out that they're they're swapping bodies and they leave messages for each other and then um we'll just go ahead and get into the spoiler territory uh a catastrophe happens to the girl and is dead and the boy he stops having the dreams about her so he but he remembers um what the town looks like from his memories of so he has dreamlike fading vague memories of his time in her body and he starts drawing images of the landscape and the scenery and then he start he's investigating like rural towns that match things he remembers and and then he well he goes off in the rural countryside and then someone sees his drawing and is like oh yeah that's the town that got destroyed by a comet um and then he goes there and how can this be how can it have been you know destroyed by a comet and so then that's the moment we go whoa like what you know how could he have been communicating with the dead girl and then you find out it happened three years ago so he was communicating with a girl in the past um and so i guess first of all he had no memory of that like if a if a town gets blown up and 500 people die that's a national tragedy yeah um because <laughs> he yeah the person in the cafe is like that's itamori and then his friend he's like what it's that and then his friends are like what you don't know i mean maybe he was just a, a teenager like really living under a rock yeah i mean and sometimes i don't know there's a lot of people in japan um there's 
there's been tsunamis there have been nuclear, um, nuclear yeah but even so, like i as an american remember the, the names of it was the fukushima incident wasn't it the yeah recent nuclear reactor um, um you know so maybe it, nagasaki it just, hiroshima <laughs> yeah um uh you know yeah uh and but that's i guess i that one isn't even the one that bothers me the most i guess but um i'm okay what is it three years he oh yes while he's in her body and while they're sending message they're messaging each other leaving messages they're writing notes in each other's phones and stuff mm -hmm. and he didn't realize while living her life that he was three years in the past he never looked at a date never noticed yeah. a calendar never that yeah um you'd think that would maybe come up in some of their interactions because it's it same for her of, like what the future yeah. like you think she would have noticed like <laughs> what do you mean 2021 like or what do you mean 26 19 it's 2016 um yeah the, the movie kind of hand waves this because they have very little memory of the previous day's events once they yes. wake up in their original bodies so all they all they have to go on go off of is their the notes are the most concrete memories or yeah. not memories but the most concrete reminders that they have yeah so and even those fade uh, <laughs> when that break the, happens yeah when or yeah which is that that's kind of weird uh, how like you know there can there can be this spiritual cosmological phenomena in the in the time in the time rift but then like all physical digital representations of those of that like delete themselves that's it was fun it was an eerie scene because it's almost as yeah. if like some intelligence is stepping in and erasing things from taki's phone all i could yes. think of was the moment in back to the future you back know the, the, future, meme the picture like erased from existence erased from existence <laughs> <laughs> i love that line uh, the beast erased from existence um uh yes i can't even so, really fully remember the context of that line but i know it is a meme from back to the future well it's, he's talking about the, the picture like if yeah. if the time if i do something here that alters the future what happens to the people in the in what happens to me you know in yeah. the past you know anyway i guess the, um, and the they're looking out get, the photo of the, the family right yeah uh, yeah but sorry continue no that and that the the picture of the family is the like is the ticking clock of the back to the future film you know mm -hmm. the, as they are gradually fade um there is a the timeline is altered correct like yeah because yeah, then the, there are no uh casualties no casualties yes or her even though it it looks like they the town was kind of split on whether they were going to evacuate yeah. or not um but the no. dad she must have convinced her dad no deaths i guess i think there were a hundred some injuries they said something like, I, I and i think technically injuries count as casualties <laughs> depending on who you ask Do uh, damn collateral yeah, damage weird. casualty maybe um usually when yeah you hear casualty you think of a person dying but um not necessarily of course you know it's, it's a statistics term <laughs> i think i think of i think of running over a poor north korean citizen and mercenaries and, and a very grating 
digital sound goes and then uh, you start losing red amounts of money and (laughs) feeling uh, it's mad at you so well open world video game from was it 2004 or 2005 yes Yes. yeah see i'm can i'm conditioned to avoid civilian casualties at all costs so maybe like every government and uh, military official should be required to play that game so (laughs) it's such an interest that game is kind of uh liminal space in itself because of just the way it incorporates like real world events and like controversial real world events with like actually you you are actually fighting north korea in that game oh yeah it just goes for well because (laughs) this a ps2 game didn't have to worry about repercussions from a a totalitarian nation across the sea it would have to worry about that now. Oh, I and mean, 80s movies were maybe. all about fighting. Oh, yeah. Soviet fighting Union. The Ruskies, yeah. China, um, so, you know. Red um, Dawn, freaking brilliant. The remake of Red Dawn, Dawn they sh- totally chickened out by making the villains North Koreans when they were originally supposed to be. It's supposed to be Chinese. China. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, well. Because... Yeah, well, North Korea was such a like it was such a joke for a long time. It was like yeah. these this evil joke kind of like no one was afraid of them. Anyway, that's off topic. But uh, so yeah, I think that was I think that's the only that's my only thing was like how did they not mm-hmm. realize that they were in different timelines? Which isn't it doesn't that doesn't have a whole lot of like plot. It that's only a thing that would surprise the audience. Like it wouldn't matter if the characters did know that they were in each other's past. That wouldn't have impacted their their own journey of discovery of each other because well that was another thing okay no yes tying in the time it was like how did they not how did he not remember what town she was in how did he not write that somewhere because it's before the erasure the complete erasure that he decides that he stops having the dreams and decides to go looking for her Mm Um, and, but he doesn't know where she is. And I was asking, so how does he, that was the first question I asked. I was like, how did he not remember the name of the town from his time spent in her, in her life? Um, I guess his memory is bad. His, his own personal memory is bad. Sure. But how did, how does he, how does he not have a note of it? Yeah. Um, and they never, they never thought to leave each other their like addresses. Well, he tries calling her. Well, that was great. Why, you know, why he couldn't get a hold of her. He's like, he tries calling her number. And I was like, oh, that's cool. She actually gave it to him, but it doesn't work because obviously she's dead mm-hmm. um anyway but yeah so the member uh, he didn't write down anywhere the name of the town to go just looking for That's yeah it. yeah and it is like right when he's starting to figure out what's going on that um th- then all the notes start disappearing it's yeah very inconvenient <laughs> but um uh no and and very very little about this film just feels like you know it's hacky or convenient or anything like that because yeah it's it's um really got a lot of neat um ideas and the the visuals are obviously incredible but like i you know the story is uh i I don't know something about it makes it just genuinely compelling um yeah i the the idea of the body swap you know something that we've talked about a little bit on this show uh in recent episodes with soul for example um i i don't know lance sterling the spy in spies in disguise uh transforms into a pigeon (laughs) um was there anything else recently i i don't know 
people switching bodies with each other. That's really fun. Yeah. We haven't seen that pulled off so artfully and brilliantly since Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Never forget. Never. <laughs> Freddie um, Prince. They're still married, right? Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar. I hope so. I think so. I think that last I checked, God bless. Now, Matt Lillard's God. Uh, career <laughs> has been Matt taken Lillard's off career is it, it has taken off. Yeah, yeah, he's been in some stuff lately. He has. I know he's in Twin Peaks: The Return, which was oh, yeah. wonderful to see him in that. Um, but I haven't heard literally anything else. He's in that uh, um, money laundering show. Um, money plane <laughs> money plane <laughs> so i i'm uh what, what is the the uh bad, bad girls or something um oh well that's a, a silly tangent but yeah anyway. you, you don't know what i'm talking about no money laundering show no idea mm -hmm. um all i know is that Al Capone did a lot of money laundering and I finally know what it means. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, weird stuff having to do with sake and alcohol. <laughs> I, I love the, I, that one of my favorite moments is in the film is the, is the, the Shinto ritual dance, um, rites thing, whatever they're doing, mm -hmm. uh, her and her sister, they're, they're part of this tradition with, um, her grand, their grandmother and they perform this really cool they wear a great costume and do this all the animation of their movie it's it's um it feels like watching it happen live like if it were real i'm just i love those those beautiful um cultural things that i i like don't understand but they're mesmerizing yeah. and then she puts rice in her mouth and yeah. chews on it and <laughs> it out and then lets it ferment and it's like okay that's awesome i mean <laughs> and i love that i love that the modern yeah. japanese folks in in that own culture look at that as like oh that's weird <laughs> i and that was maybe one of the earliest forms of sake because like that that's how they figured out you could get rice ferment as if like you introduced it to the bacteria that are in your mouth first and then let it sit for a while and you're going to get some alcohol going on <laughs> for me. And that, and that doesn't sound nearly, that didn't look nearly as crazy to me because the first thing I thought of was, have you heard of the, like the most expensive coffee you can ever possibly drink? Like is it bat poop coffee or whatever it's called or monkey? Well, I, I don't know if it's that might, that might be it. You might be thinking of something true. What I'm remembering is like they feed a coffee bean to a cat and the cat poops it out, digests it. And then you roast that up. Maybe it was cats. Yeah. I don't or else know. You, or you roast it either way. You feed it and to a cat and the cat digests it. And then it's this like massively expensive cup of coffee. So and that is vile and no human being, no human being, could stack books this way oh, well, it's expensive because it's exotic because like on uh there's not a whole lot of people who would probably even want to um invest in that kind of thing uh right. but but eat, you eat know the paw for fish certainty of death small tens of success <laughs> yeah give it a go <laughs> there's always um yeah weird foreign cuisine that it has a certain appeal you know if you're if you're a foodie or you're just into kind of yeah the the bizarre and esoteric 
Uh, yeah. I know there's like a certain cheese that has magus. <laughs> it's fascinating. Um, you're uh, kidding me. No. Yeah. Bird's nest uh, soup. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. No, sorry. I yeah. <laughs> I mean, shredded wheat is delicious, and bird's to... nest is basically just nature shredded yeah. wheat. Yeah, and a lot of this stuff has like <laughs> sticking a bird's or... nest in a bowl and pouring milk on it actually like this just makes it does make it. Yeah, and it's a yeah, it's a special kind of bird's nest that's uh, created by the this certain type of bird using like saliva. It's not like twigs, but it's uh, <laughs> it's some only the kind special of... puffin nest. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. If, I'm trying to think if there are any exotic foods that I really like that people would find weird. Um, but I'm I kind of enjoyed trying weird new things. I like trying new things, but I mean, I like um, like squid sushi or uh, octopus. You know the the yeah. sashimi. That's that's my limit. I don't I don't go in for that. Like when the when the thing looks in death just as it looked in life then no like <laughs> you, you can kind of see the little um i mean i i've had octopus where you can see the little suck things suck pods yep. whatever they're nope. called <laughs> no no uh, that even like even roast pig with the apple in its mouth oh get that out of here it's a what? little weird why yeah. are we doing that you know it's always a symbol for like extravagance. <laughs> yes, you know, Hunger Games. That's um, fair. But uh, the, the she thinks about monetizing the sake for a moment. That was a great <laughs> moment. She, that got a laugh out of Jillian. <laughs> yeah, Mitsuha is. I, I the atmosphere of this small town is so amazing. Um, Itamori, you feel like you're there. Yeah, they, the the environments in the show are just so incredible, um, and then you really f feel the contrast between uh, you know where Taki lives, Tokyo, and and then this small rural community. Nominal contrast. There is this. There, I do have an issue with the sense of scale. Like at 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 once, it's breathtaking, but then also there's the scene where she borrows the bike and she looks up at this mountain where she needs to get to, and she's gonna bike to it, and I'm like it would take me an entire day to bike up that mountain and she needs to do it in like a, an hour or a few hours of an evening. Um, hmm. Just like, there's no way I could bike. Maybe they're just, maybe their, their legs are, they're conditioned and their, their breath and their legs are conditioned to bike up and down those mountains. Like, you know? Yeah. Maybe she's used to it. Um, is this where that shrine's located? I think so. Yeah. And I, I like that you do see them, Use, there is a lot of uh, strenuous activity that has a has certain like you can feel it like they're walking uphill and breaking sweats or biking uphill and breaking sweats. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, yeah, it would be that hard. <laughs> yeah, it's a very hilly region where Itamori is located, and so um, naturally, and, uh, people just acclimate to spectacular Japanese landscape. The the hills that they live on, my my goodness. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the town is very real. Um, Taki, you know, he's a student. Both of these uh, kids are, they're still in school. They're like the same age. Um, but, and then they both, well, Taki has a uh, night job working at a cafe. 
Uh, I feel like Mitsuha has a much easier time in Taki's body than Taki has in Mitsuha's. Uh, even though, like, yes, yeah, <laughs> um, Mitsuha because Ta- Taki wants no, sorry, Mitsuha wants to be in Tokyo, and she even says, yeah. like, when I in my next life, I want to be a handsome boy from Tokyo. Whereas he doesn't, he's not interested in, in any other life than he has. Yeah, her life's not quite as busy as Taki's is, but um, at least Mitsuha, like, she s- successfully um, matches Taki up with a co worker. That's, uh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the sewing and everything. Sewing yeah, it's, the skirt up. Um, yeah, with the little embroidery. <laughs> definitely pushes the idea that women are into like sensitive boys and i mean i guess that that is definitely true to an extent um i don't know convincing to you (laughs) oh yeah well it it, it's um and and like why wouldn't taki be into his co-worker as much i i guess it's because he's now got a thing because he's because he's into mitsuha yeah i i mean or at least he feels he feels a deep connection to Mitsuha and maybe he would have at one point been into his co- I like he should have been by all rights because all his okay. other co-workers are but um also just maybe the sense that he feels like he's being played uh makes him un- more uncomfortable around her than he otherwise would have been but yeah um yeah no it, it completely makes sense that he demonstrate when Mitsuha is in possession of Taki's body Taki demonstrates a sense of understanding of women um that I, a woman I would imagine would be delighted by and excited yeah. by. And it's like, you know, cause he, he plans a wonderful date. Like, mm-hmm. cause ta- cause Mitsuha says, what would the perfect date be? What would I want as a woman? Okay. Now I'm mm-hmm. going to plan that. And so she's like, Oh my goodness. But talk, you know, he would never go to the expensive <laughs> restaurant <laughs> or do any of those things. Um, and you know, oh yes, I know. I'm a man who knows how to sew. It's like who, who, what woman wouldn't love that, you know? Or I'm the same like a man who knows how to cook. It's you know. There's a very distinctive soundtrack to this film. What do you think? Uh, I, it's, I love it. I was trying yeah. to, I was trying to peg it. Um, because in the when we started watching the Japanese version, the songs were in Japanese, and then the songs were, they sounded like they had the exact same sound, but just with an English voice. It's like. I don't know. It, it's it reminded me of the vocal quality of of the song of the band that sings American Pie. I don't pardon pardon me for forgetting um, what what that wait, is, but like uh, the the a uh, long long time ago, I could say, no, not that. Yeah. Yep. Now the music um, used to make me smile. Yeah. Don no is that Don McLean American Pie. We're gonna look uh, it up on he's singing about <laughs> American Pie. That's uh, a... Don Don McLean. Yeah, yeah, well, an older song. When did that come out? Because that that era, I'm sure, is is oh, something. Seventy one. Yes. Okay. See, I'm not crazy. Like the music, it sounded like the '70s folky, Woodstocky kind of like just a guy in, in a beard with bell bottom jeans singing with his guitar, um, and it it gave that magical folk yeah. atmosphere to the to this very japanese film that was like it's like this is really cool what whatever's going on here well it's kind of like the way that tron legacy was like a concept album for daft punk uh these movies your name and i know weathering with you as well uh, served as sort of a 
collaboration effort with this indie rock band in Japan Rad, called Rad Wimps. Yep. <laughs> Rad <laughs> Wimps. What the heck? So okay, so it was it that same band singing in Japanese and English? That's amazing. I mean, Japanese indie folk. Like I, I haven't heard yeah. of that. You know. At, well, I, uh, I love indie folk as a genre. So then you hear it in this movie, and it's like, wow, cool. Yeah, the singers uh, in English probably aren't members of. Is is the same singer? Because I think there were what two English versions. And you said you watched the English version. Yes. Okay. Yeah, hard to say. I I haven't looked into who's doing the vocals. Oh, yeah, Don McLean was the the perfect comparison because <laughs> Don McLean sings "Starry Starry Night." Um, okay. If you've ever heard that song, and that's exactly the vibe of the music in this this film. Um, I'm gonna listen to Rad Wimps now. The founder, I think uh, his name is Yojiro Noda lead vocalist uh, first became interested in music after hearing Oasis in middle school and, and uh, Oasis. They're the, the guys who are like, um, how does it go? Hey baby, you're going to be the one who saves me. Wonderwall. Yeah. Wonderwall. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. One, one. And then, and then green day sounds a lot like that too. It's, so it's a whole genre of yeah emo rock yep. basically indie rock they... <laughs> rise against my chemical romance like real big wave in the in the early 2000s i would say mid 90s to early 2000s um, wonderwall with a billion listens on spotify mm -hmm. yeah so uh I, I saw him, um, Ga Gallagher, Liam Gallagher, uh, perform live one time because they're they're no longer oh. together as Oasis anymore. I don't think. Um, yeah, so this is crazy how time has flown. <laughs> but I, I know it's kind of cool that this genre yes. of music is still getting some love um, nowadays because it's not. I guess it was never really quite at the forefront. It was probably at its peak in like the mid two thousands. Alt alt rock. Yeah, uh, alt rock. That's... Um, it's got a yeah indie rock, alt rock. You know. Um. Um. I I mean I like I've always liked the band Switchfoot. I was just thinking. Yep. Reliant K is another similar <laughs> um, sort of adjacent band. Um. Yeah, Lincoln and Park. That, that's more new metal. But <laughs> what's exactly. that? Exactly. Uh, no. Well, just that it's not. You know, I guess you sort of expect, you know, K-pop or J-pop. Like you, you expect a certain sound mm -hmm. um, from a from a Japanese animated film, and then it ends up being something so familiar to you and I. Like you know, uh, it's Switchfoot is a stretch but it's on that wavelength it's like yeah. yes this wavelength i love this and you know and so it makes sense that like oasis was an inspiration and it's uh, it's awesome it's i mean yeah anyway i'm, well, I'm wild i'm wild about japanese indie folk rock indie rock that's that's amazing a lot of like games on the ps2 had music like this um if they're racing games that had yeah <laughs> snowboard games and racing games yeah yellow card, <laughs> yellow card for sure yeah. 
This is DJ uh, Atomica. (laughs) (laughs) Really hits that nostalgia, exactly. Burnout 3, you know, they had the Rise Against and My Chemical Romance, Yellow Card, all that stuff. And then, well, then let's go back to you made a a Nicholas Sparks comparison. And, you know, what was the hottest Nicholas Sparks adaptation of that era? You've got um, Walk to Remember. Okay. And, you know, so this this 2016 Japanese animated film, like, harkens to phenomenally or sensually is the wrong word. But, you know, in the it evokes a certain nostalgia in so many interesting ways Mm -hmm. um that you know i I guess like i i don't have problem resonating with a lot of japanese cinema that i've seen but like especially there's a i mean i think it resonates there's an american americans can resonate with this film maybe more more easily than they'd think you know jillian doesn't watch a lot of japanese she doesn't Mm -hmm. watch anime she's hardly seen a few ghibli movies and you know well those are great but kind of weird but then this one she's like Mm -hmm. oh yeah like just just loved it so. yeah this kind of music i think was really popular when uh, the director makoto was hitting his stride as an artist um he's he's now i think in his upper 40s like 48 47 um and then he he uh, started first directing features back in the early 2000s as well um cool I'm, one of my favorite songs from Radwimps is the song Grand Escape, which is sort of the climax, I, I believe, to Weathering With You. I've only seen Weathering With You once, uh, so I'm looking forward to revisiting that at some point. Yeah, I'm excited for um, seeing it for the first time. Um, I, I I mean, overall, hard to say, like, you know, which I prefer um, just based on the single viewing um i and i've only seen your name once all the way through like i only made it partially through the the second viewing (laughs) just before recording today um but like uh i i really loved weathering with you are they very similar films found uh kind of i mean they they both involve meteorological phenomena <laughs> okay okay uh, weather i mean connect, connection connection to like spirits and things yeah um w- yeah it's literally weather in weathering with you where like there, there's a the character who can communicate with the weather um, oh but- you love characters who can communicate <laughs> with weather yeah it's totally my jam um and and like this one your name it's interesting how that shrine is located in the middle of a what i assume is a big crater well i thought i thought it was a caldera maybe it's a a volcano volcano. yeah Yeah. volcanic crater um so it's yeah that kind of a crater and then there was another crater yeah well this town was built around a crater a lake formed there from presumably when this happened in a similar event must have happened in the past if not the very same comet from 1200 years early it's almost they never say that but it it leaves it up for the possibility that 1200 years ago when that comet flew over it dropped half of it's dropped a part of itself on that spot and then did it again maybe starting that chain because i i love that you know the grandmother alludes to the fact that she and her ancestors have had the same um 
phenomena occur with them and they don't really do anything with that but it's just like mm-hmm. oh like this this happened this has happened before especially around here especially around this well okay it's i think it's misuha who says what if that was all happening for now which is maybe a little self-centered like you know what 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 would anyone in body swapping in 1820 have been able to do about the media the comet destroying this town mm-hmm. you know in, in 2016 i i you know but she says that so that's it's interesting that she assumes that this connection to the past was all leading up to this moment Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there there was a change that occurred you know at least the the audience is privy to it i don't know do mitsua and taki remember how things were prior to there's just going to be a whole wave of mandela effect that hits japan now (laughs) yes oh goodness a whole wave of mandela the word multiverse is spoken once by a character right in the beginning um in in kind of a a joking way i don't get the sense that i like i like the idea in this film versus the simplistic idea of a multiverse there are millions of infinite universes where every possible thing has happened in this one it's like there is a a weave of space and time that can um tangle and wrap and change but then ultimately write itself or it's like one it's the same timeline it just was altered like there isn't there isn't a universe in which Mm. the town is destroyed and a universe in which the town isn't destroyed there's one universe and it got destroyed but then time went back and fixed itself and then continued on from that point like yeah um, yeah i yeah i'm I'm saying it very simplistically because i have small brain and don't do (laughs) physics but there it is well yeah it's um it's interesting just like thinking that there might be other universes out there where things are just slightly different or or maybe significantly different but like uh maybe everything does just sort of converge and collapse into reality as we know it for the most part uh and (laughs) though maybe there are ways to diverge and um just kind of branching tangents that go off in other ways and it isn't as if like there's you know billions and billions or nearly infinitely many alternate universes all equally as complex as our own um it's it's more it is more like a like a ribbon or, or like a river or something that that tends to try to um maintain cohesion but it can it can change it can perform like weird corrective measures yeah as the stakes, <laughs> the stakes are so much the stakes are so much higher if your one and only timeline let's mm-hmm. just say simply your one and only timeline can be messed with and can be altered permanently with disaster but well significant consequences and that's that's the back to the future position yeah. or um, system i think yeah, I don't I mean it maybe like if they figured out time travel that's you know certainly a popular theory on how it wor- would work but it really does require a lot of things to just sort of yeah like like the way this film describes how things change once there has been a change made to the timeline it's almost yeah. as if everything that happened before 
were a dream. We only remember it as though it were a dream. And I guess that's a kind of a fun idea. It is because he wakes up because he wakes up after when he finally meets her on the rim of the uh, volcano and they talk to each other during magic hour and he tells her what she needs to do to change the future or um, yes, to change the future. Then he, he doesn't go back in time to like relive the present up until you know whatever he just he wakes up right in that same position mm-hmm. with the memory that he has but then all that the the three years since the um since the oh my goodness since the, the, was it the event the calamity the, um the meteor impact <laughs> since the meteor the yeah the meteor impact has has just happened like that's all changed and he he didn't have to like relive it or anything if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and then who knows what he who knows what like interesting changes he discovers or if his own memory has been retroactively affected um by the forces of spirit or cosmos or what have you <laughs> um it's it'd be in, i i imagine he just you know he's he's there on the volcano and it looks like nothing's changed uh because the city still the town still gets blown up but then he goes back and he just, he doesn't even remember why he's there. That's true mm-hmm. too. He's like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, what am I doing? I need to go home to Tokyo. <laughs> and then he goes home to Tokyo. And then if things were different, he would just not even necessarily notice other than that little nagging feeling. And I love that. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's just, it's fun. I, lo- I love the, that nagging feeling. I think we all get those and this movie plays with that really, really well. Um. Yeah, the, there's that moment like at the middle of the film when he says in narration the the swaps never happened again, but but they do happen later in the movie, right? Yeah, and there's yep, the swaps never couple. they never happen again, and we don't know when he's when he offers that narration. It's yeah. almost like yeah, they they introduce a um framing device that mm-hmm. wasn't there and then suddenly is there and then is never there anymore. Yeah. Um, and then they never happened again after that moment. Wasn't isn't this a wonderful book? <laughs> well, as Grandpa, of that, yeah, about- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The it's narration that's kind of happening, yeah, media res or whatever. You know, it's 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 in real time with the movie. So you you have to take everything that the narrator says with a grain yeah. of salt. Well, even <laughs> yeah, you don't. You, it doesn't tell you the time skips. Yeah. Um, like when all of a sudden, you know, after she, well, she saves a town, you think, or, well, no, she's in her dad's office and the comet's coming down and he's like, why are you telling them to evacuate? And then it cuts and, and then you see Taki and he's like wearing a suit and going to interviews now. And it's like, oh, how much time has passed? This is crazy. And then you kind of like figure it out. And it's nice that it doesn't just, I don't know. There's the whole business surrounding uh, you know, trying to save the town, you know, activate the alarms and stuff. And that, um, that's that fun. That's got some, some body swap. Yeah. Uh, some, there's some fun. Oh, what did Jillian say? She's like, there's so many types of movies happening in the one movie. Like, you know, there's a little stranger things, gooniness that, starts yeah. happening. you know, the, the kids, you know, I bought all the snacks, meet at the clubhouse yeah. and then you need to do the, your job and we're going to get in so much trouble and we're going to cry. And you know, it's, ah, that's great. She Yeah. She gives those announcements over the um, emergency broadcast system, whatever that is. It reminded me of that, that one alien movie, uh, 
the do you remember alien what about, what that was called uh, the super eight <laughs> um no, it was like uh the indie movie um the the dark of night or something <laughs> so, well, vast of night vast of night yeah there you go so yeah that was a question I had too. I thought it was like, what what kind of town relies on this loudspeaker system so much? And then, I mean, maybe when earth if earthquakes and incidents are something that's you know the, the town has a history with or is likely to happen, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's uh, you know they they've had disasters before, certainly. Yeah, um, and they do a nice job of showing that like what happens on these loudspeakers is also coming through the radios in people's homes. So, so. Uh, Mitsuha survives. The, her friends, um, Saya, Teshi, survive um, and uh, all end up in Tokyo eventually. Uh, Saya and Teshi, what, they get married? Is that? Yeah, well, they're, they're together. They're ta- yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, she's, she's been reading. She wants to go to another bridal thing. And he's like, I thought I wanted to get married yeah. in chapel. Or they so. get engaged. They're uh. engaged, yeah. <laughs> and he bumps into them by chance. Yeah. And then he walks past Mitsuha. And we want him to look. We want her to look. But they don't because they go, nah, it's nothing. And then that is it. And then the movie ends, but then it doesn't end. Then they actually, it's still coincident. It's like, oh, what are the odds in a city like Tokyo? I mean, if they live, it's feasible if they live yeah. close enough together or they, you know, have a similar commute or, well, they, okay. They, <laughs> they're on trains headed different directions. And then when they get to their destinations, they, I assume they like try to run back to like that station where they saw each other. I, I'm guessing that's where yeah. they were going when they finally it's... land. You know, it's the spirits that are pulling the strings, you know, in a, in a movie like this. <laughs> where in a, And it's funny. You say in a movie like this and like for once that doesn't bother me. This really is a movie like that where it's not like a movie. I don't know. Some movies are like not supposed to rely on that kind of element, but you can still make the excuse for them. But it's like not as convincing because it's like, I don't know. The movie's trying to be not this way but this movie really is that way where i don't know the spirit the spiritual interaction with the rational is so subtle um but omnipresent at the same time yeah it's i mean it is pretty outlandish the idea of like body swapping and all that i I know there's some things about it that almost seem strangely plausible like this is something that somebody would write about on a forum (laughs) Um, yeah that's true yeah I, you know, I ended up in someone else's body for a day. Uh, so strange. And it felt like a dream. I feel like uh, even like, in the, <laughs> oh, sorry. I, not to, I'd keep in but, but like, you know, there was at the same time, they were in my body because I have no memory of that day, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm sure people claim that they've had this experience and maybe it's, maybe it is plausible. Um, and it's, it's certainly fathomable on an, like a, your imagination can imagine it, I guess, especially since they invoke dreams. Like mm-hmm. the, it, it all revolves around sleeping and, and it happens at night. So it's like, it's very easy to yeah. imagine that, oh, well, the characters think they've just been dreaming. So, but it's it's real, but it's very dreamlike. I I feel like I in the um, behind the scenes of Inception, when there, there's this wonderful, uh, the, the behind the scenes of Inception, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt interviews a bunch of dream researchers and scientists, and it's a really wonderful little um, foray into that world of science. I actually, uh, my psychology teacher, when we were going over dreams 
a unit on dreaming and the subconscious. I mentioned it to him and he was like, oh, really? And then he showed it in class. I, I really felt proud wow. of myself. Like I nailed it. I was like, I was finally able to bring something up to a teacher that like they actually thought was as good as I thought it was. Um, and as informative as I did. So, and I feel like there was an interview with someone who claimed that that happened to them. Like they, mm -hmm. anyway, but I could be wrong. Yeah. But yeah, people claim very strange things have happened. And I, I don't know, who am I to say? Well, it's, it is pretty like stark when, <laughs> when you are appearing to the people you know and have like no idea of your identity, like you have no memory of anything that came before because now uh, <laughs> another yes. person's in control of your body. <laughs> you know, they do sort of, they go along with it maybe a little too easily. Like yeah. instead of I appear, what's going on? Where am I? Who are you? You know, like, in, and then instead of them being taken to a hospital and being examined, you know, the first yeah. time it happens, they like, they put on their proper clothes and they do make their way to school and they do make their way to their jobs. And, but I love that. Uh, I mean, they, they kind of have a little explanation for that too, because when she goes to the cafe, well, she, she's like, oh, it's a good thing I'm only dreaming. And so she spends all this money and, you know, um, and it's like, oh yeah, she just assumes she's in a dream. So she's going along with it. So yeah, yeah that's a nice, that's a nice explanation, I guess. Mm -hmm. You are, well, fun times. Uh, yeah, you, sorry if, if I've- if No, I've, no, no, I'd, uh, oh. you, you've offered some incredible insight on this and uh, yeah, we've been, uh you know having a fun time exploring some of the more i don't know mysterious concepts that are introduced in in this very imaginative uh film at once grounded and surreal so <laughs> yeah. there's lots to digest um and mitsuha of course uh fortunate enough to go on to be able to see frozen in 2013 <laughs> or or i guess it was released in japan in 2014 and then went on to become one of the highest grossing films one higher than uh your name <laughs> uh, let's see uh dustin like uh, any final thoughts on your name no i think that's it yeah it's very beautiful mm -hmm. the I guess the design aesthetic, it, it certainly, it seems to take just greater advantage of like the capabilities of modern digital technology. Um, there was like a sequence that looked like it was created using traditional analog, um, like a musical sequence after Taki drinks the sake that's in the shrine. There's a whole, you know, dream sequence yeah. slash music break. Um, and it, it does look like it's, kind of drawn on paper uh, more traditionally. Uh, but then everything else is so vibrant. Um, and it, it, um, it doesn't feel like, you know, uh, too drastic a departure from traditional hand-drawn 2D animation. Uh, but there's just something about it. Everything, I'm guessing part of computer technology is that you know, you can just really color grade things to um, to the extreme, um, and and just yeah. really get a lot of crazy detail. Right. I mean, I mean, it could have fooled me, but it it almost yeah, it does look like too vibrant and too pristine. Um, and there are some scenes that that look three D, 
like walking through the woods and the, the way that things kind of slide by each other. Um, they can't, every time the can fell down out of the vending machine, I, that felt like a 3d. Yeah. Yeah. The cans and stuff, definitely 3d elements in these ways. It does differ seemingly quite significantly from even more recent Miyazaki films, um, which what's Oh gosh, there's that earwig movie. And that's just that's a full not real, CG. right? I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that. I, it could just be a case where Studio Ghibli is just very slow to change. And they're experimenting with an entirely new method of animation. Um, well, isn't it like his son <laughs> who's doing it? Because like, I just hate the idea of what could be going on behind the scenes there. Like, come on, dad, get with the times. I'm going to make my movie in the modern way you know yeah and that's no son you're ruining my legacy <laughs> yeah it's possible that i know it doesn't seem like those studio ghibli films that don't have significant or I, I guess the ones that aren't directed by miyazaki himself just don't seem to have as much cultural resonance yeah staying power right so, I don't know, something magic about the man himself. Um, but yeah, the, these are a little bit different and um, it'll be fun to see what's next from Makoto Shinkai, Comics Wave Films. Yeah, that was your name on the podcast, Conversations About Animation. Dawson, thanks for joining. Uh, thank yeah. you for listening, everyone. And you, know, you can find podcasts on various streaming platforms and then thodcast.com at thodcast on twitter and instagram you can find me philip elke at philip elke on twitter and instagram uh dusty ready to sign off yeah i'm out of here all right Good to see you have a magical day have a wonderful week warm hugs mm-hmm.